All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your grace. We thank you for all you've done for us. As we come before you uh, today to learn from your word, we pray that you would teach us, that you would illumine our hearts, um, that we would be molded to understand your church and ourselves in your church uh, as you want us to. Lord, uh, please bring us in humility before your word, that we may be shaped in our lives, in our community, and how we love each other, uh, and how we look to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, for for the people who haven't been here for the last three months, um, I just it's great. There's like this big field of jokes I can make now. Um, so we've been talking about church and community. So we've been uh, exploring a little bit about what the church is. Um, we talked about uh, what the church broadly is. And we said that the church broadly is the elect from all ages and from all places. So this means that uh, the church as a whole, broadly speaking, is uh, everybody who's ever been elect from the beginning of time uh, until the end of time. And so this means that uh, from all the different times, from all the different places, we're all part of one church. There are local churches, however, and local churches are visible uh, extensions of that broader church. So a local church is a visible extension of that broader church. And the local church is imperfect. Uh, it's imperfect in two ways. First, it's imperfect because the people in the local church are not yet glorified, and we're not yet sanctified. We're not yet in our final form, right? We're still being uh, perfected by Christ. We're still being molded. We're still being built up. Um, but in another way, the local church is also imperfect because there are tares among the wheat. There's wolves among the sheep. Um, so the, the local church is imperfect. Not everybody in the local church is elect, and not everybody in the local church is perfect yet. Um, and However, we're still part of the big, perfect, broad, eternal church. Uh, and so the church... Uh, foundationally is created and governed by the new covenant. So the new covenant is the, the constitution of the church. It's the founding document. It's the declaration of independence. It's the constitution. Everything that we want to know about the church, we look to the new covenant and we look to all of scripture through the new covenant to see what the church is, what we are, what we're to do, uh, all these things. And so we, we've talked about a few implications of that. One is that uh, the church is created by God, which means it's not created by man. This is not our idea to to have a church. It's God's idea. Um, this also means that the church will last as long as the new covenant lasts. So as long as the new covenant's in effect, the church will exist. Um, in, in Calvinism and in Tulip, right, we call this the perseverance of the saints. We call this the fact that the, the church will never disappear from the earth. But what we're really saying is that the new covenant is, is what holds the church together. As long as the new covenant's in place, there will be a church. Um, which means that uh, you can't lose it, you can't break it. Uh, and even if a local church closes its doors, the broader church will continue forever. Um, even if local churches close their doors, they'll come and go, but the broader church will not. Um, it will stay forever. And this means that uh, the church is a reality. It's something real. It's not something that we're striving towards. It's something that is. Right? We are the church. We're not hoping to become one. We are the body of Christ. We're not hoping that we will become the body of Christ. We are uh, a church. We are a part of the church. Um, and this means that we're still growing, right? We can still think about and grow and be perfected and sanctified. But the ideal is that it already exists. Right? This is already real. And this means that God created it 
It's permanent. It's reality, not an ideal. And this means that it exists for a purpose. God doesn't do things just for fun. Uh, God made the church for the purpose of making disciples of all the nations. Which means that uh, the church's main goal is to shape people to be more like Jesus their master. Um, and we talked about the other primary tools, our word and sacrament for shaping people. Um, they're not the only ones, but they're the primary ones. Um, now you guys talk a bunch because that was hard for me to talk. Um, the church as a body, what does that mean? What does it mean that the church is a body? So we talked about this image um, a few weeks ago. G. Jesus said that the church is one body, different parts, different purposes of the parts. They have different functions, but we're one body. Absolutely. Um, what else does it mean that we're, we're a body, the body of Christ? Everyone remember things? Michelle? I think it means we all need each other. And if one part is hurting or not functioning for any reason, the rest of the body is going to feel that. Yeah. Yeah, we all need each other. Paul talked about that in Colossians or Corinthians, where he says that no part of the body can say to another part, I don't need you. Um, And it means that if one part suffers, the whole part suffers. But the flip side of that is if the whole part is glorified, or if one part is glorified, one part has received something or is blessed, the whole body rejoices. Right? We suffer together and we rejoice together. Uh, What does it mean that the church is a building? So we talked about the church as a body. What does it mean the church is a building? Do I mean 2306? 26th Avenue? It's a gathering of God's people, not necessarily a building. Right? It's not, it's not this building. But the, the scripture does call the church a building. So what does scripture mean? Christ is the cornerstone. So what's a cornerstone do? It's a measuring device. Everything, it's it's the first stone laid, and everything else built upon that foundation, upon that cornerstone, is measured according to that stone. So it's the first one, and everything else measured according to that first stone, according to Christ. So if something is out of alignment with Christ, that's wrong. It's bad. What kind of, yeah, Charlie? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So um, there's a goal. There's an architect who has a plan in mind. God is not just putting blocks or bricks wherever He wants. There's He has a goal in mind, an architectural plan, and every we're being built up. Both individually, like we are being built up as individuals, and we're also being built up as a building, as one broad building. We're being built up into right, that heavenly city of Jerusalem, as Charlie said. Um, yeah. Yeah, we are the living stones that are being added to the building, being built up. Um, 
and this, the, the type of building, the, the plan in mind, right? what God's purpose is, what he's got in his mind, is to build a temple. Uh, that the city is going to be this, this city, this beautiful city adorned with gold and, and uh, many precious stones. Um, and it's this, he's building up the church to be a temple for the living God, which means that the church is where God will have his presence. If you want to find God, right, you don't have to go into the forest and do some communing with some, some leaves. You go to the church. If you want to know where God is, you go to church. You go to where his word is preached and proclaimed. You go to where the sacraments are rightly administered, right? Those primary tools are the word and sacrament. Those are are foundational to where God's presence is. He says, where my word is, I'm there. That's where I am. Because his building, his church, is a temple. Uh, And we're also called a bride. So what does it mean that the church is a bride? Church is a building, a body, and a bride. What does a bride mean? G? The, the bride is uh, submits to Christ, and Christ protects and guides the bride. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, uh, uh, the the imagery that Paul uses in Ephesians five is he links directly marriage and the relationship between Christ and the church. That the church is Christ's bride. That means that Christ is the head of the church the same way that a husband is head of his wife. Or, actually, flip that. Husband's the head of his wife exactly the same as Christ is head of the church. Right? Christ and the church comes first. Everything's patterned after Christ. Um, and that means that the church submits to Christ. And that she submits to him in everything. And he, as a, as a loving husband, provides for her, protects her. He's the one who, who nourishes her and cherishes her so that he may present her to himself on the last day. It's called a wedding feast for a reason. Because the church as a bride will be adorned finally in all of her, uh, her beauty and she'll be presented to Christ. There will be a wedding feast. This is the last day. And then marital bliss for the rest of eternity. Uh, that's what the, the picture is. So um, these, are, these are some of the images that scripture has used to talk about uh, the church, not the only images. Um, we're going to keep talking about some of them, but I just want to test step back for a second and give you a, a big picture roadmap of where we are and where we're going. So, this Sunday school series is called Church and Community. The goal is that we eventually start talking about community. We want to talk about the church community. We want to talk about what that means, what that looks like, how we can participate in that, what, what we're called to do. Um, but before we start talking about that, we need the foundational pieces, right? We need to build a foundation with Christ the cornerstone to understand and start to talk about community. So my hope is that you're starting to see that church is not simply a convenient place to worship God on Sunday. Uh, that to be a part of a church means to be a part of a building, a body, and a bride. That means that you are part of something much bigger than you, that you have a place within it, that you are an essential uh, component in the church. Um, and the collective, right, the, the, the broad church does not swallow up individuals. Right? We're not just part of an amorphous blob. Um, the church uh, is made up of individuals, but we are still one. We're united by the Spirit. We're part of one, uh, even though we are individuals. We're distinct. We have different gifts, different uh, personalities. Um, but unlike the, the broadly evangelical way of thinking about church, church is not just a collection of individuals right, who all share uh, a common love for Jesus. We're not here because we all love Jesus. We're here because we're called. 
We're here because God called us out of the world and into his temple to worship him. Um, So we're building this foundation. What is church? Where do we fit into church? Uh, What does it mean that we're in a church that we can start to talk about community and what that means? So... um, the, 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 the big picture roadmap of where we're going is we want to start talking about community eventually. Um, but I, uh, today we're going to talk about another image that Scripture has for the church. So the church talks about, the Scripture talks about the church um, as a family. So in Galatians 6, uh, Paul says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Ephesians 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 1 Timothy 3. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. 1 Peter 4. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So, four times... Paul calls, uh, and and Peter calls the church the household of God, or in other words, the family of God. So what are the the big picture, broad implications? What comes to mind when you think, okay, the church is a household, a family? What What comes to your mind? What does that mean and imply for you? Structure. Structure, okay. In what way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's structured. There is there is authority. In other words, what else? What else comes to mind when you think of the church as a family? We should love one another. Okay, we should love one another. Absolutely. Spend a loving one another, getting to know one another. We know our families. It's not a place where we just come on Sunday for you know a little while and leave immediately after. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're just coming and, and for the meal and then leaving right after, there's no fellowship. There's no. It's not a healthy family. Charlie, yeah, Jane. Yeah, I, I was thinking that how households were understand, understood in antiquity, but bears importantly, I think, on these texts, and they were there was like economical unity, and I only say that to get to like there was everyone was on a certain mission in the household working towards the same end. So whether what the father did or whatnot, the wife was the healthy, the children were also a part of that, that that entire communal movement of work and mission and, and provision. And so there's another way of describing sort of the unity that everybody in the household is working towards the household's end. So Charlie wants to build a compound, and we're all going to live in it and raise chickens together. Is that where? I, I know that's the reason. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, Charlie said basically there's a goal for the household, and everyone in the house is moving towards the same goal. Right? We're not we're not all spreading apart and doing our own things. We're we have one purpose, one goal, um, and we're all moving towards that in our various ways. What else? What other broad implications come to mind? Michelle? In a household, you don't have a lot of privacy, so all of your bad character traits your family knows about. Sure. And, you know, when you make a mistake, you have to fess up to it and ask for forgiveness. 
if necessary. When yeah. So yeah. There's, there's a closeness. Yeah. Yeah, this, we're in a tight relationship together. It's not, um, it's, it's really hard to hold all your family at a distance um, without that affecting everybody in the house, right? Everyone knows, I think we probably all know, what it's like to be in a house where there's a lot of tension. Even if it's not you being the problem, even if there's tension between mom and dad or, or, or dad and one of the kids or two of the kids, that affects everybody, right? It makes it tense for everybody. Same thing in a church is we are one, we're part of one family, and so when there's tension and there's problems, it affects all of us. Um, what do the apostles and consistently refer to the people that they're talking to as? They always refer to, they always talk to them as brothers, brothers and sisters. Yeah. So we, uh, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, um, which means that um, just like you can't choose your own brothers and sisters, you can't choose your family. You can't choose, well, I'm, I'm, you're, you're great, I'll be friends with you, and we're going to be really close Christians, but I don't like you, so we're going to be distant. Right? We're not going to have a relationship. That's not how Scripture or the Lord envisions the church. Uh, that doesn't mean that there won't be problems. That doesn't mean that we're all going to be best friends at the end of the day, but that does mean that we're going to be in, in a family together and love one another. Um, Another implication of that um, is that if we're brothers and sisters, that means that as part of the household of God, um, that Jesus is also the Son of God, which means that Jesus is our brother. So Hebrews 2.11 says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Uh, so how do you become a member of the household of God? Okay, drawn by the Holy Spirit. And you are convicted of your sins. And you confess Christ as your satisfaction to God for your sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you confess Christ. You uh, confess your sins. You're drawn by the Holy Spirit. But something happens. Something changes. We're new creatures, absolutely. But there's another thing that happens that God does to us that specifically relates to the household. We're adopted. adopted. Yeah. So how do you become a member of God's household? God adopts you. Um, Which means that it's not something that you do. Right? Adoption is not something that you initiate. It's not something that you, that you pursue. It's not something that you earn. Adoption is, is a blessing of the Lord who adopts us, who brings us into his family. So Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In Galatians 4, uh, God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Uh, We've received the spirit of adoption as sons. The Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. 
So you'll notice um, in these passages that uh, it's repeated that we are adopted as sons of God. So does this mean that uh, in order to receive God's blessings and be in his family, you have to become a man? Or what about women? It's a generic term when you said man. Not necessarily. Okay, I will disagree with you. Well, I'm talking about mankind, not just men. Okay. That would include men and women. It does include men and women. I agree with you there. But there's a reason why he says adoption is sons. Charlie? Specific man that we have to enter through. Okay. You know, we, the, the adoption that we receive, the, the, the sonship, so to speak, is only through Christ, through his sonship. It's one of the graces that we receive that we don't deserve. He, he brings us into his sonship, which is why we get looked at as children. We get looked at the same way the Father looks at him. Mm-hmm. It's not something distinct or separate. We get his sonship. Right. We get Christ's sonship. We're brought into Christ's sonship. But there's a specific thing that happens. Yeah, Michelle. Does it have to do with like inheritance rights? Yeah. It has to do with inheritance. Because in the ancient world, sons inherit. And Jesus inherits as a son. So we're adopted as sons, not because gender is now, you know, you have to become a man. There's a, there's a, a false book, a Gospel of Thomas, that says that in order to be, go to heaven, you have to become a man. If you're a woman, you become a man first, and then you go to heaven. That's a false gospel. Um, what Paul means is that in order to be received inheritance, we are to be adopted as sons. Right, all of us, women uh, included, that we are adopted as sons because sons receive the inheritance. Uh, and Romans eight seventeen says it. And if we're children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may be glorified with Him. Or Ephesians one, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. Um, Hebrews nine, He is the mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So there is an inheritance that sons receive, that the children of God receive, that Christ has earned, um, that Christ has earned through his merit, his works, his righteousness, um, that he is going to receive. And Paul says in Romans 8 that we receive those same blessings that Christ receives uh, in inheritance. That when we inherit, what we're inheriting is everything Christ inherits. Um, so let's let's unpack that a little bit. What does Christ inherit? What's that? I can't hear you. The kingdom of God. Okay, the kingdom of God. Um, what else? You say what or why? What is what does Christ inherit? Because if we are fellow heirs with Christ, that means that we get what Christ gets. So what does Christ get? <coughs> Masha? His bride. His what? His bride. His bride. Um, in a sense, we get unity with each other. But what else does Christ receive? Charlie? That first promised life, that Adam lost, that <clears throat> uninterruptible, uncorruptible, Forever life mm-hmm. that was held out before him, Christ obtained it. Yeah, eternal life. 
which means that if you're in Christ, if you're a child of God, which is something that God does to you, he adopts you, he draws you and he adopts you, that you will then receive um, eternal life completely as an act of grace. There's nothing that you've done, nothing that you've earned. You receive an inheritance that is beyond imagining simply because of the grace of God. But it doesn't, it's not just eternal life because I can imagine eternal life not being great if it meant that you had to live with snakes for the rest of eternity or something. What else does Christ receive? Charlie? Can I qualify the eternal life? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is eternal life in the presence of God. Yeah, which is a good thing. But Christ receives a lot more than just eternal life. Think of the transfiguration. What happened on the mountain when Christ was transfigured? He's glorious. Yeah. Which was a it was a prefiguration, which means it was it was before it was yet time, they got to see what was going to happen. That Christ was glorified. So that when Jesus Christ died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven, he was glorified. Which means that Paul says in eight in Romans eight seventeen. If we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So that one of the, one of the inheritances we receive is eternal life, but we receive uh, an eternal life of glory, which means that as Christ is glorified, which means as Christ is exalted, as Christ is made perfect, as Christ is given um, holiness and beauty and perfection, that we will receive those same things, that we will be made to be like him, uh, the scriptures say. And when Christ appears, who is our life, we will be like him. We will be made like him. Sorry. Um, And so he's exalted in glory, and he also receives uh, a throne and a crown, a crown of glory. Um, and so the scriptures say that we, uh, that when Christ is raised and returns, that we will reign with him. That means that there's a throne, it's Christ's throne, and there are other thrones that we, as his people, will also sit upon. That as Christ receives a kingdom, we will receive a kingdom, not to be just a part of the kingdom, but to be rulers in it. Um, that we'll actually receive crowns and authority and ruling and glory and eternal life uh, and, and joy and peace forever. So we receive eternal life and then all these other things as well. Crowns of glory, uh, glorious perfection, uh, all these things. Charlie, did you have your hand up? It, it, does one of the letters to the churches say something akin to that, like to, to those who endure all set as ruler over thousands or something to that effect? Maybe. I, I can't think of a passage off the top of my head. Okay, sorry. Matthew? Um, I was thinking of Jesus' high priestly prayer where he says that the glory that, that you have given me, I give to them. Is that what he's talking about? The, the glory that we will have one day in heaven and we are glorified. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's talking about the fact that he's going to be exalted. He's going to be raised above uh, uh, everyone else. Uh, because the, the, the rubric for all of Scripture and all of life is the last shall be first. Christ became last, right, so that he would then become first. And we are last. We are the last to be created, um, and yet we become first through Christ, that he is the one who, who brings us into his, uh, his inheritance and gives to us freely his glory, his kingdom, his, his eternal life his perfection, all these things he gives, he grants freely to us. So, um, how does the church mirror this family? So, we're talking about the family, the household of God. So, in a a more practical, week-to-week way of thinking, how does the church down here mirror this, this kind of relationship, this fact that we are a household of God? So we've already said some broad things. We're brothers and sisters. Uh, we are. Uh, there's authority involved. That's um, uh, structured. It's orderly. We live together in Christ. So what is? How does the church mirror these things? So in the in our institution of the church. Johnny, what was that? Service. Okay, service. Yeah. In what way? Who do we serve? Using our gifts to serve each other. Yeah, we serve each other because we are family. You could you could probably sum up all the things that we're told to do for each other um, and how we're to live together as the family rules. Right, so a lot of families have a they'll have a chalkboard or a picture and says, "Here's the family rules: no, no cussing, no put your plate back in the dishwasher, um, stop hitting your sister, all those things." Um, the the family of God has family rules, and it's throughout Scripture. Uh, there are lots of them. We call these the one another's of Scripture. Um, there's about 37 of them. That I, that at least 37 one another's that I could find online, googling it, um, and and serving one another is one of those one another's one of those family rules. That life in the household of God, this is what it looks like. We serve one another. What other family rules are there? Love one another. Love one another. Yeah, yeah. That. That command occurs lots and lots of times. That Christ says, uh, not a new commandment I give you, but this is the one I give you, love one another, as I have loved you. You guys think of any other one another's? Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens, yeah. Which means that if you see your brother or sister struggling, you don't, you don't just walk by. Forgive one another. Yeah. That's especially important in a household where we are living closely in close fellowship and relationship. And we're all sinners because we're imperfect. Right? We're an imperfect church, local church, which means we're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say dumb things and, and hurt each other. And an important part of, of how we are to, to love one another is to confess our sins to each other and to forgive one another. Any others? Exhort one another. Yeah. Which means to, to speak God's word to each other. So it's not just for the pastor to do, to 
to speak God's word. It's something that we're all called to do. You guys think of any other, one another's, any other family rules? Charlie? Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Yeah, show hospitality to one another. Absolutely. What's that? Be kind to one another. I'll, I'll highlight a couple others um, that I think are important. Uh, one of them is to stir up one another to love and good works. So we encourage one another in our Christian walks. Um, and the other is that we pray for one another. I think um, that one, pray for one another, is something that I, I could do better. And I'm sure we could, all could who pursue that, that all these other one another's flow out of truly love, right? And love begins in how we talk. It begins with how we talk to God. Do we pray for one another? Right? We do it at, in, in, the, in the service, uh, but it's also something that we are to do in our daily lives, is pray for each other. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few others. Um, anytime you see a one another in Scripture, think family rule. Right? This is what the family of God looks like. Here, here's what we are called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but it also means that the church reflects uh, this family aspect um, in the fact that there is authority. Right? There are father figures in the church that we are called to submit to. So Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, right, for they're keeping watch over your soul. And these leaders, who are these people? Where well, They are the elders. So Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, that an overseer or an elder must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. But he must manage his own household well, with all, dignity, keep, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Uh, because the image is that the elders are father figures. Right? And if they're not good fathers at home, how will they be good fathers for the church? So the, the, the elders are our father figures. They're our authorities. They're who we obey and submit to and look up to. They're the ones who shep, they're shepherds. Right? They lead us. Uh, and that we are, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not called to, to create divisions, to create battle lines, to say, here's my camp, right? And I'm going to follow this elder. You guys, you got your camp, and you're going to follow this elder. Right? We are one body. We are one people, one household. So Paul says, we are, uh, there's one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, so we're not multiple families, all split up. Neither are we to be quarreling with each other, uh, creating divisions and, uh, and, and lines in the sand. That we are all one people, one family. We're brothers and sisters. And we're brothers and sisters because Christ has made us so. That Christ in his work, in his, uh, his work on the cross, cleanses us, washes us clean, and then God adopts us. He brings us out of the world. He brings us into his temple into his body, into his, uh, his family, and says, you are my people, and I will be your God. This is all the work of God's grace. So um, are there any questions or comments on the church as a family before we wrap up for today? No? Okay. Well, let's pray and uh, prepare our hearts for worship.
Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for how you have adopted us and given us an inheritance that we have not earned, that we will receive by your grace alone. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you have loved us and made us your children. So, Father, we pray that you would help us as good children to, to listen to you, to obey you and submit to you in all things. Please shape us, Lord, so that we would be more like your son, Jesus. Please mold us and transform us. Forgive us of our sins. And please lead us that we would love one another as you have loved us. That we would take to heart all these commands of Scripture to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to confess our sins, to forgive, uh, to pray for one another. Lord, help us to do these things. Grow us in these things that we might become a closer community, that our church might become uh, more beautiful, more like that broad, perfect church as you perfect us through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.